to Sons and Suffers podcast. I am your host, Mario Stanley. I am excited to bring you today's episode. I had an opportunity to talk with David from Kaya. He is part of the team that is bringing the Kaya Climbing app to you in gyms, outdoor crags, and the world at large. We've taken over. We've taken over, boys and girls. But it was pretty cool to talk to them. It was so interesting to hear about a company that really wants to return the power of data, of things that we create into the hands of the users. And I'm and I'm really just talking about the thing that stood out to me. This podcast goes all over the world. And let me be very clear. David is a man who has been in the climbing game forever. And someone I honestly aspire to have a half of his accolades at some point in time in my life. But I'm going to keep on doing me because that's the only thing I know how to do. As always, I want to thank you guys for listening to Sends and Suffers podcast. If you guys haven't already, please go to sendsandsuffers.com, check out, please join our Patreon. We are now sharing all of our information, extra bonus videos, extra audio clips, all the things. Like anything extra is definitely going there. We still are mailing out stickers. I do want to let everybody know that there is going to be a little hiatus of anything coming out in the mail for probably the next eight weeks or so just because I am going to be traveling, recording some podcasts and just kind of getting out there after COVID and everything being locked down and now back into the work and grind. It is time to see the world and get some vitamin D and send clip bolts, cry, suffer on the wall. Well, I'm not going to let you guys suffer anymore listening to my voice. So let's go ahead and get into this episode. This episode was brought to you obviously by Kaya. They definitely sponsor this episode. And if you guys don't already use their app, I highly recommend it. Albert OK, my buddy, said it best. The best training person, the best coach you will ever have in your life is yourself. So why not get all the tools that will help you be the best version of you that you can be? Today, my guest is David German. So I'm going to let him introduce himself to you guys. And yeah, let's just go ahead and get into this. David, how are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks, Mario. How are you? I'm doing all right, man. So as I asked everybody on my show, uh, because I'm assuming people listening to this, maybe a small bit of them know who you are and the rest of them don't. So who are you, where you're from, and what is your connection to the outdoors or the outdoor industry? Uh, Well, my name is David Gurman. Um, I'm... uh, I, I live in Truckee, California with my wife and two daughters, and um, I'm a rock climber of about 25 years, uh, a design entrepreneur and a, uh, a data artist, um, a TED speaker and, and TED fellow. And um, my connection to the climbing industry is um, that presently I'm the co-founder and chief product officer for Kaya Climb. Um, the the climbers app, like where you know we have all indoor uh, route data and outdoor route data, 
and a bunch of really cool performance analytics. And um, so that's my, my current connection to the outdoor industry. Um, and that's as of about a year and a half ago. But prior to that, I hadn't worked in the outdoor industry since I was route setting and then pouring and shaping holes and building climbing walls for Pusher in Salt Lake City in like 1998. So um, I did that for a couple of years while I was in Salt Lake. And part of that, I've worked in gyms uh, all over the country, um, in, in the powerhouse in Las Vegas, uh, Sport Rock in Washington, D.C. Um, and, uh, and then I worked for this guy, Brian McRae, resoling shoes with him in the basement of what was, I guess, Blue Ridge Outdoors in the New River, West Virginia. But that was like 20 years ago. And um, since then, I left and, you know, had pursued a career in technology, apps, and, and design and design entrepreneurship and come full circle now I'm back in the industry um, working with Kaya. You have lived the entire full climbing professional saga. Like, I really feel like that was what that was. You've gone full circle that I did not know you shaped and you worked with, uh, in for pusher. What was your relation to pusher and Boone? Yeah. Um, so I showed up in, um, Salt Lake in 1998 with my wife, Shauna Jacoby, and we were just like to climb and compete. Back then, it was like the PCA was the, the climbing competition series that was going on. And all we wanted to do was uh, rock climb. And so we moved to Salt Lake. Um, I started working for Pusher. I was really inspired by Boone and MC, my call, uh, David Bell, Rob Gilbert were there, and then a bunch of friends who were back in the, the pouring room with me, um, Todd Verone, Jim Wolf, Luke Cudney. And we were just um, uh, pouring plastic and shape and hold. Um, and Mark Russo, who uh, shaped the original boss. I don't know if you remember that hold, that big Fontainebleau yes, I rippling do. sloper thing. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the things, yeah. Every, anyone who's climbed long enough has things to say about that hold. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, those guys actually went on a trip to Font and came back, and they and Mark went into the port, into the port room and shaped it up. Oh, wow. um, so yeah, I worked there for a while and uh, just was completely inspired by that community because there were so many really good proficient rock climbers. Like everybody was at a top level, um, and it was no big deal to be around all these like really high performing climbers all the time but everyone was so humble and welcoming and it really didn't matter what level you climbed at um people were just like to to be around each other and to be creative so that was my my early intro and boone really ushered that space in because he was he was kind of like leading the charge like i remember the first time i did copperhead which is one of boone's early um, I, it, at the time, I think he rated it the 11 in Little Cottonwood, and I think now it's rated B10 or something. But I was just so psyched to, you know, trace in his footsteps and try to do problems that he had done. And at the same time, we'd go out with the crew, and there would be a myriad of levels of climbers, like artists who could climb B2, and then, you know, people like Boone and others who are climbing, you know, super hard, top and grades. Yeah. So. Dude, that's awesome. I had no idea that your relation to that. So in 
Um, and you said you spent some time in Sport Rock, D.C. That's my hometown, sadly to say. Uh, oh, cool. Sport Rock was yeah. not around when I was uh, when I was a kid, nor was really accessibility to rock climbing in general. Um, and did you route set for them? No, I was I was more teaching ballet classes at the time. I had come back. My early introduction to rock climbing was mostly through mountaineering and and alpinism. I went on a Knowles uh, semester course to learn high angle rescue and wilderness um, first aid and all of that stuff. And we got an introduction to rock climbing through that. I came back, decided I wanted to be a you know a rock climber. This is all I wanted to do in my life. And um, Sport Rock had just opened up in the D.C. area. This was like, I, I believe, 94 was my first introduction to Sport Rock. And then like 96 is when I, wow. the summer of 96 was when I started working over there. And um, I, I don't think I was qualified to route set at that time. I was just, <laughs> uh, you know, teaching ballet classes. How old were you at that time, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, 20. Okay. Yeah. So, wow. And so you did, and you had done Knowles mountaineering and high rescue training before that. So you got started pretty early comparison, I would say to majority of the general public that's getting into it now. And unless you're a team kid, then it's, it's a totally different story. Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, it's funny that, uh, you know, my perspective was that I always got, I got into it late. Um, because I saw like Chris Sharma, Tommy Caldwell, Katie Brown, um, and like the, and Beth Rod and like the early kids. And I was, you know, six or so years older than them. So I was like, Oh, I missed the boat. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, I was really lucky. I, I had the opportunity to be introduced to, I mean, I went to high school in DC. I was a city kid and, um, grew up between DC and New York city. And, um, but I was, uh, introduced to rock climbing through Knowles, which was an exceptional opportunity. And, um, and that just kicked it off for me. So yeah, like early twenties, that's all I wanted to do. I, I went to school for a couple of years, uh, at Bates and was studying anthropology and African American studies. And, um, so, you know, got super inspired by a professor there, David Jenkins who is teaching anthropology and he was talking about um, uh, Peru and the spread of the black plague. And he showed us all these video, uh, images of the Andes that he had gone and, and done these uh, first ascents on. And it just captivated my imagination. And so much so, I don't think he expected this, that I, I left school and, and decided, okay, this is what I'm doing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rock climb. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah, I think that was probably not the intended effect, but I'm sure he's proud of it now. Hell yeah. I hope so. <laughs> and so now you're in Truckee, uh, California. And what is your wife's name? Shauna. Shauna, nice. And did you guys meet climbing? Yeah, we did. Um, we met actually at Seneca Rocks in West Virginia. That's a scary um, place to rock climb. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's pretty wild. It's like, I don't know what, it, what it's like a fractured quartzite and it's that thin, thin. It's like, like razor blades feet. coming out of the ground. To me, it always creeps me out because I'm like, I feel like one of these things are just going to dislodge and slide right out, but nothing really moves uh, on totally. you, but it's still terrifying. 
yeah, it's it's old and fractured and and just has a very spooky vibe. And then when you're up on top of that fin, you know, and it just drops away on either side and it's just so thin across. So it's a real interesting place to, to climb. But Shauna came with some friends, showed up on a, a full moon night, and um, we uh, just struck up a conversation. Seemed like we were both in the same place where we were, you know, in that um, post-teen, disconcerted, uh, bummed on all the things that our parents in the past generation had done. Didn't really want to be in school. All we wanted to do was rock climb and work to support our rock climbing journey. And, um, you know, had the luxury, the, the privilege of being able to move into a pickup and travel the country and the world rock climbing. Nice. How, how long were you guys doing that before you actually kind of I guess settle down. Like, where was your first place where you're like, okay, we're going to call this home? And I imagine it was near climbing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we we kind of uh, fiddled back and forth, but we ran out of money and got sick in Waco tanks, and uh, decided that we needed to get somewhere warm because we both caught this nasty cold, and we needed to get jobs immediately. So we drove to Las Vegas and. Um, we were able to get jobs at the powerhouse and I think it was rocks and ropes was the uh, competing gym that was across town at the time. And so we each got a job at the gym and Redden's apartment in the back of um, uh, a house where I believe the meth, meth, <laughs> meth addicts were living in the front of the house. <laughs> I think I'm not really sure what was going on, yes, but it was the cheapest apartment and the only one that we could afford. And, and so, yeah, it was Red Rock was, was the first and kind of tying back to Boone. I think, I think it's fear and loathing. This like 12 days that was there. It was like one of the first routes that we did when we got there. Oh, nice. Really beautiful. Uh, I've been there quite a bit. That's probably the one place I've logged more hours climbing than anywhere else in the country and that place. Yeah. You can climb there for virtually forever. I call it Alpine cragging unless you're sport climbing and bouldering, but then it's like easy. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. So friendly. Yeah. And you can get back into those canyons in the summer and it's a little bit cooler. And in the winter you can go up to the crags. It's just like an amazing place. It is. It is. And now in Truckee, do you guys have climbing near you now? And are your kids into climbing yet? Or are they still too young? So much climbing. Um, there's so much right around here. The granite is really, truly exceptional. It's not it's not dense in the way that like Fontainebleau is dense where you can walk into Bacuvier and just have, you know, a thousand boulder problems right there. Mm-hmm. But the quality is, is totally there. And it's a little bit spread out. So you kind of need to know where you're going or have a pickup so you can kind of cruise back into find some of these boulders back out in the hills, but, um, it, it's really, truly amazing. And for roots and bouldering and alpine climbing. And, um, my kids, uh, are five and 10 and, um, they're both, they're into climbing in their own way. Uh, like Tali, the five-year-old was just out with me at the boulders the other evening cheering for me and, and spotting me that's awesome. <laughs> so she and I, we go out a lot. Yeah. It's so fun. Oh, that's great. Um, Mina, my daughter, my older daughter, uh, she climbs, she claims that she, and, and I feel like this is like the most privileged statement on our 
but she only will climb if we go to Fontainebleau. So uh, she loves the boulders, the sandstone in France, but other than that, she could care less. I mean, that's, I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to agree with you on that one. That is definitely some privileged stuff to say. That's awesome. I love that. That's yeah. A, yeah, totally. Oh man. I can just imagine an eight year old telling me, you said she's eight, correct? 10, 10. Uh, 10. Oh, I can imagine that conversation. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, hell yeah, man. I did yeah. not know that you, I, I mean, I know you, I've heard your name for years and I've known you've been in the industry for years and I think it's actually really cool. And it's actually, um, uh, it, it's, I think it's really exciting for people to hear that that's kind of like the industry struggle. I would say like the story, how a lot of people in the early days get in the industry. And I think it still is that now with the ad, with the advance of mega gyms and different things like that, I think, you know, how you can get into the climbing industry is different, but it kind of divide mm -hmm. it's divided. And I think you've made a really beautiful leap to more of like the corporate world and the entrepreneur world and then the innovator world with Kaya comparison where your roots are really, your roots are really boots on the ground. And, you know, I, me, myself, I started out just coaching in a gym. I became a climbing coach because I actually borrowed a buddy's car to go to lunch and I got into a car accident and I told him I would work for free, mm. just coaching some kids for a while until I paid him back. And by the end of by the time I paid him back, he was like, I don't want to coach kids anymore. You can have this program if you want. And I just, you know, my boss was real generous with me. That was, and then, you know, I did the math, just working with kids and what you can make. And I was like, oh, I think I can make a living doing this. And, you know, 14 years mm. later, still, you know, 14 plus years later, still at it. Oh. That's awesome. That's super cool. Yeah. Your work with kids is really inspirational. Um, I mean, coaching in general, I think the fact that you're helping people progress and deepen their love of the sport and giving them the tools to get better. I think that's really inspirational, but then, you know, uh, taking that to the youth and, and tooling them up to be, to have a healthy climbing life. I, I just think that's an awesome mission. Dude, I love it. I, that's kind of my goal in life. I just want to teach people how to rock climb and I want to bolt and make rock climbing places for people to go and climb. Like I, my dad mm -hmm. always said, you like, mm -hmm. you got two hands in life. You can do two things really well. Anything beyond that, you know, know that it's not going to be. So decide what's important to you and getting people climbing and teaching them how to do it and providing it for them outdoors are single-handedly like my life's mission. So I appreciate that comment. It means a lot. Mm -hmm. And you know, people ask me all the time, why do I coach kids? And I tell people selfishly, it's so I want to make climbers. So people will vote, make choices and do things that preserve climbing areas and wild spaces. I was like, but I completely have an agenda and I have no shame admitting that at all. I love that. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the same for Kaya. I mean, that's, that's why I joined Kaya and that's why we're building Kaya. You know, we, we want people to deepen their relationship to climbing and the community and um, give them the tools to be healthy and progress uh, and deepen, deepen their connection. So similar, similar thing. Yeah. And Kaya is an awesome tool that, so I'm gonna, not going to assume that everyone listening to this podcast knows what Kaya is. So could you just kind of give a brief description of a rundown of what it is and where they can get it? And then why do you like it? So, I mean, you work for the company, but I, I, I don't, I think anybody who actually uses Kaya has features and things that they like about it. And I, I'll tell you mine, uh, if you tell me yours and then, yeah, so. Sounds good. Um, so 
Kaya is an app. Uh, you can get it in the App Store, in the Google Play Store or the iOS uh, App Store. Um, and, you know, it's really like a digital companion to your rock climbing journey. Um, it, it's a place where you can find beta, beta videos uh, of climbs, like how to do the climb um, or how to do the boulder. You can find information about uh, the boulders or the routes indoors and outdoors. Uh, we have a lot of good indoor uh, information because we have a lot of partner gyms. One of our toolkits is a, a tool called Plastic, where the gyms are using Plastic to manage their route inventory, and the route setters are figuring out what they should set for the day and working with each other through Plastic. And through that, we get name, grade, you know, color, the movement tag information that gets put into Kaya. So there's a lot of good um, route information in Kaya. And then we build what we call uh, you know, I mean, data visualization and analytics tools to help you understand the patterns within your climbing. And through those observations of different patterns of what you've done, where you've been over a given time period, you can start to extract how to, how to get better. And the first part of it is just understanding. So what I love is the access to the community because people are uploading videos, fist bumping each other's achievements and celebrating the things that they've done. Um, they're also just sharing information with each other via video. And then you can, you know, figure out what you want to climb on next. So finding the right climb in the gym or finding the next good project outside. And with the toolkit, uh, you can track your progression and understand the basic patterns of your climbing and use those to train. That's awesome. And so, yeah. So what is your absolute favorite feature of the thing? Oof. Uh, that's, that's a hard question because there's so <laughs> many that I like. Like, And, and I mean, I, I, I realize I do work there um, and I am working directly with the team building the product. So it's like one of these things where I'm so biased, but you know, I'm just looking at um, Deuces Hip Hop. I'm looking at a video of Devin Dabney right now on a climb called Jiggles V3 on the tension board in the feed. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I love watching the videos. Um, I love keeping track of my project. I mean, personally for me, I, I love to go climbing outdoors. And, um, and because I have access to so many great rock climbs around here, I track my progress on my projects. You know, I can uh, upload yeah. videos to store my attempt videos it is something that I really like doing. And looking at data of how I'm going to try things that I haven't unlocked. So I love that. I also like interrogating through my data and just extracting patterns, trying to figure out like, Am I better on a board? Like on, I own a grasshopper board. So am I better on a grasshopper board or am I better in the gym or am I better at, um, in Bishop? Um, and I can see those patterns. So it's kind of hard for me to select one of them. I would say like, if I was to summarize the thing that is most unique about Kaya is the intersection of a social platform with the data and analytics. So it's almost like Strava, um, meets a social platform. That's cool. And the 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 idea there is um, not to sell ads, but actually to allow the community to share information with each other. 
um, and, and that, that core essential data. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's actually awesome. And that's honestly one of my favorite features. What you're talking about is being able to see your own patterns because all my clients that I coach and I use, I require them to use it so I can like see their progresses in the gym. Cause like, you know, they'll tell me I sent a V5 today. I'm like, I, that that's fantastic. I'm really excited for you. I, that means nothing to me. Cause I can't see what you did, you know? And I'm like, really, I'm genuinely excited. But if they're asking me in, in the context of like, what do you, th- what was the next step? And I'm like, well, it's hard for me to tell you what the next step is. Cause I didn't watch you do the V5. Like, was it a straight struggle bus all the way up to the top? And you were just happy to get to the top. Or did you walk this thing like getting out of bed, you know, and it makes a huge difference. And so my favorite, favorite, favorite feature from a coaching perspective is being able to just watch people's beta, because I think the beauty and this kind of comes back from your boots on the ground uh, experience with rock climbing. You've done so much of it. It's, I think you can pick out patterns, but I think to the novice climber and your everyday climber, who's just getting into climbing, they're being we have to teach them as coaches and we have to like really show them mm-hmm. how to identify these patterns and you can't do it unless you video them. And we've been, I remember we first started videoing people on cheap iPads and tablets we could get maybe five, six years ago. And, you know, it was just constantly deleting them and going back and you'd have to pick, go through and pick and hold your favorites or like, Oh, this is a great example of, I want to show a paddle or I want to teach a kid like what actual flagging looks like or anything. And it was always this like trove. And now you guys have really created a treasure trove from a coaching standpoint of view where I have like my favorites that I know where they are, even in other people's accounts. Like I have like, I have a short, I have a short list on my phone that I have, and I just have their name when the boulder was so I can go to it and I can use it as examples. And so that's like uh, the best thing in my opinion, like the, that is just, you can't, Albert Oak says it best is like the best coach you have is yourself. And so Kaya, in my opinion, is the best tool that you can bring to the table to make you a better coach for yourself. And then me personally, my favorite tool is the most painful tool. And um, it's the, it's the thing that I can't remember what it's called, but it's where you tell, it kind of helps you get your climbing average. And I find it so funny because like I can climb harder than my climbing average is, but I don't do it enough. And I'm always just like looking at it and I'm like, my ego is hurt a little bit. And I'm like, okay, I need to like (laughs) average this out because I know I can do this, but that's it. But it's been such a beautiful thing for me because, you know, my ego always attacks me where I was like, I'm a coach. I should be able to do this. I should be climbing up this should, should, should. And I tell the kids, you know, if shoulds were, if, you know, if shoulds were fishes, we'd all have a fish fry, you know, if wishes were fishes, we'd all have a fish fry, but it's not a thing. And I like it because it helps me ground myself and also realistically gives me a real world perspective because I think that tool is so important because my athletes that have been using it consistently, I ask them, I'm like, Hey, just look at what your average is. And if you're going outside for the first time and you really, I mean, you want to go outside and just slay routes, you should base on what you're doing here. So like, if you know, you're going outside in a couple months, start tracking your stuff so you can kind of see where you are. And I find that people have a lot of success. They'll go just a little bit under it, have some fun, and then they'll start pushing the grades. But they honestly have a real sense of where they are. And it's the simplest, simplest tool there. To, for them, if you have no idea really how to use the analytics of Kaya or how to understand what we're talking about, develop science, see patterns in your climbing or anything, 
that is the simplest tool that you can just look at in. You put volume and quantity in, and then this is the beautiful information you get. And I think it's simple for people to digest and use and apply it to outdoor rock climbing. That's awesome. Um, both, both the beta farming, like with the videos and like looking at movement patterns that you mentioned up front. And then, you know, the, I think you're referencing the intensity zones, um, which kind of help you understand, you know, where, where a given climb grade maps for you in terms of how hard, how hard it actually is for you. Cause like a, Absolutely. a V5 for a V10 climber is very different than a V5 for a V5 climber. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, on the video side, the, uh, that, that was the aspiration is to create almost like a peer to peer coaching network. Um, this is a, a phrase that was, uh, lent to us by Andy Walsh who is over at the Liminal Collective, and he's one of our advisors. He was the former U.S. ski team coach, Olympic coach. And um, he was just like, people can look. If, if someone is within the what he called the zone of proximal development, someone who is like just a little bit better than another person or just a little bit, you know, um, in development relative to the, the person that's, you know, a little bit further along than they are, if they're close enough, they can see each other and they can pick up the nuances of what that person is doing and they can learn and mimic their movement patterns and get better. And so I love the idea that you're showing people these videos as inspiration on, you know, either it's like just learning a skill, how to toe hook or heel hook, or actually like unlocking a subtle movement in a pogo or, or, you know, the way in which you twist your hips or this or that mm -hmm. you see that in the video i could talk about it but when you see it in the video you're like oh okay that's the unlock oh yeah the proof is in the pudding i mean you got to taste the pudding to know whether it's good or not and i think that's just <laughs> the issue it's like hey what's the age old saying someone walks up to you and they got rental shoes on and a rental harness how do i get better at rock climbing everyone says the same thing who's worked mm -hmm. in rock climbing just climb more in the beginning just climb more mm -hmm. but like mm -hmm. I, you know I always said that, but then it kind of did frustrate me growing up and hearing that and even saying that myself, because I would remind me of, you know, and I'm, I have a little bit of dyslexia. And so it always, that has always tripped me up. And I always used to get so annoyed in middle school and in high school when a teacher would be like, I was like, how do you spell this word? And she's like, look it up in the dictionary. And I'm like, woman, man, I do not know how to spell the word. To begin with and yeah you can kind of sound it out and mm -hmm. some of them you cannot mm -hmm. like you know like cat williams does a great skit on knife and he was like that why is the case silent but um that's kind of the whole thing with it and it would just it would frustrate me a little bit but i never really thought about it that much because people would ask that question so much and so often and mm -hmm. i think kai is kind of the answer to that like yeah, you can climb more, but then you can also watch how is it done better? Because that's really what we're trying to do. We're just trying to move better on the wall. We're trying to move better on a vertical surface. You know, you can, we say this to the kids all the time. Are you trying to send or are you trying to learn the move? You know, one will allow you to send more routes than the other. And I think Kaya is a very good compliment to that. And so you came onto the project after it was already started. Yeah, I came on, I was an advisor from the beginning. Austin Lee started the project originally. And um, 
he then began to collaborate with uh, Mark Borgignon. And Mark had built Plastic, the route setter's tool. Austin had a vision for um, the Kaya, or originally it was called the Redpoint. Um, and he was going to take the route d- database that was you know collected into Plastic and then publish it out to Redpoint, which would be a consumer app for people to log their indoor climbing. And, um, and they had new route notifications as a component of this. So um, he asked me if I would advise him as he started the company. And I, w- I was kind of between gigs at the time. I uh, had sold my company, Vibrant Data, to Rakuten. And I was just kind of trying to figure out what to do next. And Austin wanted some help on both just think- how to think through the business and and like what would be a good legacy project for climbing because we're both core climbers. And um, the original inspiration for this was like, how do we build something rad for the climbing community? So I started uh, just advising on the side. And then um, in, uh, I guess, December of 2019, January 2020, uh, they asked me to join and lead the product team. And this was around the same time that Kim Ang joined, um, and she was formerly working at IDEO, and she was going to take over with uh, marketing and strategy and really building out the brand. And I just looked over and saw this uh, team of you know young, super inspired engineers, designers, and at their core, rock climbers. And I thought, wow, because I, I actually, at that time, I was like, I'll never work in tech again. I'm done. <laughs> I, I don't really have the, you know, I'm not inspired. But when I saw this team and I saw what they were aiming to do and the legacy that they wanted to leave for rock climbing, they they inspired me to join. And, um, and so I've been with it for a little over a year and a half and just, you know, loving the journey of building out this product. That's awesome. I, I did not, it's funny. I, I guess as a consumer, you never really think about all the people that, um, that actually really go into this program and building it out. You know, I always, you know, outside of watching, you know, um, sitcoms about startups and different things like that, I didn't realize that's cool that everyone in this team was a climber at their core. And I think that's not something that I've I think of, especially, I mean, maybe I don't know a lot of apps and programs developed for a very specific purpose, but I think that's definitely, that comes out in the app. You can kind of see that, how you move the content that's shown. I mean, you guys definitely care about it. So that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, everybody on the team, um, with the exception of, uh, our, our lead designer, who's amazing, Jared Bell. Um, he's, you know, he's into sports broadly, like all kinds of sports, his deep passion is fitness app. Um, but you know, everybody is a climber and my, my, uh, foreign mission is to try to get Jared to climb at some point <laughs> and, and, and identify himself as a climber. Awesome. But yeah, everyone who really is, is, is a climber and, and loves it and has had their own individuated journeys, personal journeys with climbing and climbing has really been a gift to each one of us. And so it is, you're right. It's like super unique. Um, not any time in my career have I had the perfect 
confluence of like domain expertise for me personally with like analytics and, you know, product level innovation and technology coupled with this thing that I'm so passionate about rock climbing and, and then design and then this great team that surrounds it that is also equally as passionate, but bringing about climbing and then bringing their own domain expertise, whether it's, you know, Austin with data science and Kim with brand and vision, Mark with technology. I mean, I can go down the list of all the wonderful people and coaches, you know, we can expand out to the, the uh, community board and the collective that which you're a part of, um, Natasha Barnes and Simon Moore on like you were referencing the intensity bands earlier, the, mm-hmm. like, the averages that people look at. I mean, those concepts really emerge from, from work we did with them. And, you know, we had conversations with Lattice and, and just endless people have made contributions into Kaya and um, at their core, they're all climbers and they all want to see something come to life. And so it is really a unique and special opportunity to be a part of this. Do you guys as a team ever get to go out and climb? I understand what the reality of COVID and things that are going on in that, but does the, does the team ever get to throw down and, uh, and are there any a standing projects for everyone? I just want to know where to stock people on Kaya or, or on their social media. Yeah, yeah, totally. So uh, what, right when, when we, uh, when I started, so I actually officially started like December 2019, but they, they asked me to go with them on a team trip in November of 2019. And we went to Waco and, um, it was awesome. We just all got to climb together, eat together and, and just hang. And then we did these sessions on like, well, what's the future of the climbing gym and what's the future of the healthy climbing community? And what's the role that we want to, you know, what role do we want to play in that? And where, what do we want to build? So it was, you know, a little bit of work and a lot more play. And, um, and then because of COVID, we, we, you know, we snuck in a couple trips here in Tahoe. And then I know that Kim, Mark and Jen DeBellis, um, got together and Austin got together up in Squamish this summer and uh, got at the very end. And now we're going to do a team trip with Bishop uh, in the middle of November. And everyone's got their project list. And, you know, we rearrange in abilities uh, from from very beginner to very elite. Um, I think uh, Brian Boyko was on the national team back in the day. He's, he's an absolute crusher. So he'll definitely lead the charge and we'll, we'll chase after him. Oh, but, awesome. um, yeah, we're going to get together and climb. We all, we love to get together and climb. And we actually try to use the app. Um, that's one of the things that we do is we try to put it in, in play in the field and see where it breaks and where it's good. And, and we try to be super critical of how can we improve it. But we do that in, in the process of just, you know, playing and going climb together. That's cool that you guys actually get to train together and actually get to climb together. I know as a coach, and our coaching staff, that's like pretty important to us. And I know COVID definitely ruined it for us because we, as a staff, we could not do mm-hmm. our annual coaches trip. I do an annual trip every year, to taking a bunch of friends climbing during Memorial Day weekend. And I had to shut that down just because it's just, mm-hmm. you know, it just wasn't for us. It was such as coming from, coming from Dallas, 
and to small towns anywhere around us. It's just, it wasn't responsible. So I'm super excited that you guys at least have it in your backyard and you're able to get out on it consistently. You know, how long do you see yourself working with the Kaya app now? I mean, I know it's probably not going any, I mean, it's thriving and growing and it's only growing into what it's, what it's going to be. And I can't imagine, I don't know what it's going to be in the future. I know right now me using it, I enjoy Mm -hmm. it, but like, I guess, is there any long-term goal for you? Well, um, you know, obviously I have personal goals <laughs> and then I have, uh, uh, aspirations for Kaya. Um, I'd love to see Kaya turn into the digital hub of climbing and the climbing community. And so all the indoor gyms and the board, uh, we'd love to see them all on there and thriving and communicating with each other through the app. Uh, we'd love to see outdoor data in there and, and route information. Um, and uh, we partner with local climbing organizations and access funds to basically host various events, and they use Kaya to raise funds. Oh, that's, so, that's you awesome. Know, that's, uh, that, that's really gratifying um, because I feel like it's one part stewardship and the other part is, you know, for nonprofits that don't necessarily have a great fundraising vehicle all the time, some of them really do. We can they can run challenges on Kaya. Um, they can responsibly host it in outdoor crags, and then they can put onto Kaya whether a route has access issues or peregrine falcon nesting or whatever happens to be the thing that's going on there. So, and then they uh, raise money for the organization. So, from that perspective just bringing the ecosystem of all the various players uh, in the climbing industry together onto one digital framework. That is, is the aspiration. And then with that, we focus all of the energy and data of, of all those different orgs um, in service of rock climbers. So that rock climbers can track their own progression using the training tools and the analytics and the visualizations and the programs that we'll be creating. So really we want it to be your, your digital companion for your whole rock climbing journey journey and to be the hub and home of, of climbing broadly. And so that's, that's really the aspiration. Um, there's like lots of things we could go into in either side of those things, whether it's like the data set itself, like the outdoor data, um, I just wanted to call out that one of the things that we're focused on right now is like, how do we protect personal data and, and how are we going to treat the outdoor data? So one of the projects that we're working on right now is to open source our outdoor data repo. So any group or person can use that data. And then anyone, a climber who puts their data into Kaya um, they own their data and any gym that puts their gym in their gym route information into Kaya, they own that data. Um, and any board company that puts their climbs onto Kaya, they own their data. That's powerful. So there's, there's, yeah, I, I, I hope so. I hope people see that like over time, especially as we think about like Facebook and Instagram and all of the targeted ad stuff coming up and the questions around who owns what, I think that if, we create a framework where everyone can load in their data, but we build products which are based on the analytics 
but they still own their core data asset, I think it, it creates a mutually symbiotic ecosystem where we can all help each other. No, dude, I think that's amazing. I did not actually know that was a feature of uh, Kaya. And I think that's, that's honestly extremely like real generous and noble because anyone who understands anything about tech, like it's, it, with all this stuff going on, as you said, with Facebook and like your data is the most valuable thing that you have nowadays. You know, it's like used to be your checkbook when you're mm-hmm. on, on our parents are growing up. You can't lose your bank account number. You can't lose this. Like if someone can hack into your data, your social media, the things where you be you online and, you know, in the, in the light and in the dark where you, it's the full encompassing version of you, you know, and other platforms, but with Kaya and our climbing world, I think that's really, really, I think that's really awesome. And I think that's really, really noble. And I think anybody who understands like what privacy really means to them, because I know I do just like creating this podcast, creating content and things like that. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. you, you give up a certain amount of it. And I think we as human beings, sadly to say, are slowly being conditioned that like you must give up a certain amount of personal data in order to just be involved in the world or be involved in, on, on mm-hmm. a digital platform. And I just want to say kudos to like, that's big because that really does create, I don't know of any other apps that do that. And so I'm very curious to see what this digital landscape will really kind of unfold and kind of grow out of that. That's like, I just, you know, I can't even imagine really what that will grow into. I just, I know you're starting off with a good solid foundation with that. That's cool. I had no idea. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. We, we hope it um, grows into a a mutually symbiotic marketplace, Um, you know, where climbers own their own personal data and that's basically their currency that they're trading. So I don't know about you guys, but this whole conversation about data and rights and hustling and being on the grind has got my brain moving a million miles an hour. And I'm super amped to continue this talk and to really just reconnect with David and dive into this. If you guys have not already, please, please check out the Kaya app. Please look into this and just do yourself a favor and get all the tools and the resources you need. All right. So let's get back into this episode and enjoy. You know, like the the beta video that you load up on Takaya, that is something that people benefit from. Um, broadly. And so like, it's a little bit hard to measure what, what the benefit is of that, or, you know, maybe attach a numeric value to it, but it is valuable. And when someone goes and shows up at a crag and then looks over at that beta video and they have the instant unlock and send, then that was really meaningful for that, that individual. And likewise, you know, with the outdoor route data, we all, you know, we don't eat, no individual owns the crags. We all, you know, this is a community resource. Um, and so we just feel like it's the right thing to do is to curate this large scale data set, uh, that anyone can use in any way that they see fit for the benefit of the community. And, you know, our job as a business 
is to make great products that extract value out of those data, but not to exploit the personal data itself. And a lot of my perspective was shaped by, I was part of a research project that was sponsored by Intel in 2012 and led by an ecologist and TED speaker named Eric Berlow. And it was called We the Data, and it was looking at personal data ecosystem. We did a bunch of research and interviewed 50 um, tech luminaries at the time, trying to identify ways in which uh, we could democratize personal data. And this actually became the cornerstone um, that uh, William Hoffman, who was working at the World Economic Forum at the time, uh, used to start to shape uh, GDPR, uh, data protections in Europe. So my perspective on this really comes from all of these tech luminaries who had built big, big businesses in various ways and all realized that personal data was like fundamentally the most valuable thing into the future. And they all, um, <laughs> or at least most of them, lamented the fact that like personal data was, the, the business models were essentially exploiting that data where there was another possible framework where the personal data could be owned by the individual that was putting into it. That was the currency that they brought to the table and that they could be uh, accredited value for bringing that into the, into the system. And then that would lead to a mutually symbiotic business framework and would largely be a much more robust business than one that just exploited folks um, without, without their, their, you know, the, the freemium model purports to trade services for use of your data, but, you know, the company benefits much more greatly, at least from a monetary perspective, than, than the user does. So we're trying to, like, flip that a little bit and put the power back into the people's hands who are using it. And we benefit because we're, we're still making money through the premium subscriptions, and that's not based fundamentally on your personal data. That's, that's analytics that we build, tools that we build. How much is the premium membership again? So for this year, it's going to be uh, $29.99. And um, we're going to start with a uh, sorry, $14.99 uh, offer out the gate. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I think this is cool because, I don't know, when you were describing this, so the word that came to my mind was sweat equity. Like you're still allowing someone to have mm. that because you're right. Like in a system where, you know, where the whole goal is to own someone's personal data, well, it's, it's just one decision. And I've recently been reading this book. Um, it's called uh, The Streets of Shaolin. And it's like a full saga to like how Wu-Tang Clan came to be together. But in the first two mm. chapters, mm -hmm. one of the things, in the first two chapters, one of the things, it lays the foundation of the ghetto, the Bronx, and, you know, in the 1970s, 60s, and, um, and then, you know, early 80s, barely, but really we're talking the core is between late 60s and all through the 70s. And, you know, all these guys that came up with hip hop, came up with rap, um, there was nothing there for them. All they had was their words mm -hmm. and what they could create on their own. And so their sweat equity putting into their craft, whether it was Grandmaster Flash, you know, creating the first mixer or DJ cool Herc, mm -hmm. who started the original jams, but it was all their own sweat equity. And the thing is, is like, I think in a weird way, like you're kind of creating a place where you can do that. 
with now with creating your own content. I understand this is all in the umbrella of the climbing industry here, but just coming from someone who's like, I, you know, people call me like Chris Hampton and Devin and I talk about this. It's just hustle every day, all day, hustle 5,000. Like mm-hmm. My, uh, my brain never stops working. I'm always like, wait a minute, you can make a business out of this. Let's do this. Let's go. Let's have fun. Let's create uh-huh. freedom. Let's uh-huh. create the life that we want to live. And let's work to live, let, you know, let's work to live, not live to work. And so I think you're really creating that on a digital platform, because if I can own, if I can create sweat equity and I create really great content, I have a lot of stuff out there and I own it, it builds value towards me. So I think, well, yeah, you might not be able to attach this dollar amount to it or this actual thing about it, but sweat, sweat equity generally doesn't have a dollar amount. It's just you busting your butt and making your dream and making your things, uh, whatever you're trying to do a reality, you're bringing it forth. And once again, whether that's you sending your first, you know, five, eight, five, nine, five, 10, five, 14, you know, or you're going for silence. Um, it doesn't matter. I think the thing is, is you are allowing people to do that in a way where they can do that with their climbing. And then as the nature of the platform evolves and the market evolves, you're still giving freedom and creativity for your members and the people involved in this thing who are paying customers or not really to kind of like bring beautiful ideas to the table with their data, with their project uh, product. And, you know, I think it's cool. I just, I think it's really cool. I don't know. I just like, that was the correlation that came together in my brain of, you know, wow, like you can really grind this out and you can get, yeah, obviously you're going to grind and you're going to hustle and you're going to get really good at your climbing. But, you know, if you, depending on where this goes, you know, it's going to go somewhere great. You can really get more out of it. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And I'm really curious to see what this landscape is going to be. Cause that's why I was saying like the beauty, the beauty and the worst thing about the hustle and the grind and coming out of a place with nothing is you can't see a future for yourself. That's the beauty mm-hmm. of it. So anything is possible. The worst thing about it is, is you can't see a future for yourself. So you've got to be someone who's willing to just put the work in. But I mean, right. the same can be said about climbing. You know, none of us see us sending our projects. I mean, we can visualize it, especially if we've been climbing long enough. We can visualize the moves, but actually seeing you send your project, I mean, that's daunting. It's very hard and it's very, it's, it's an emotional, it's a, you know, it's a mind, it's the heart the body and the heart, the mind and the gut all getting involved. And it's really hard to get them all aligned to see you send your project. And I think it's, I don't know, it's just real beautiful to me. So I, I went on this tangent. with this. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. That's, um, there's so much that you just brought up that, uh, it has so much resonance, um, for me with, with the pathway to progression and sending your project. Um, you know, some of the analytics that we are working on right now, there's, some cornerstone, I guess, uh, things that you can measure. One is uh, what we're calling velocity. How many attempts does it take you to send something that's hard for you? So literally just a count of attempts or how many sessions does it take you? And then we have a tops rate, which is like a success metric. How many, all the things that you tried, how many did you get on top of and and were you successful with? And then we have um, a workload score, which is kind of a measure of capacity. So, if um, you can climb V5 and that's your um, 90% of, of like your hardest climb that you've ever climbed, so 
somewhere like maybe the hardest climb you've climbed is V6 and the V5 is like 100 points, we assign a point value to each of the grades. So all of the climbs that you're doing, you can track this workload score and your velocity, the speed at which you're sending. And maybe you're working on a project at a grade that's you know beyond you right now, but you can basically track a path to increasing your capacity through your workload score and watch your velocity and at easier grades, like maybe the things that are like at your 80% or your 70% or even your 90%, they should start to, um, you should start to send faster. So maybe it was taking you eight attempts previously and now it's dropping to, you know, six, three. And when you get to that point, you kind of know, okay, I'm, I'm prepped up. I'm ready to go try this project that's, that's really hard for me. And so just tracking on what you were talking about, being able to see a pathway to success, um, you know, it just started making me think about these different tools that we're building that hopefully give people the ability to see the forest through the trees and just see like, where, okay, where, where am I going? Where am, uh, but th- there was one other thing I wanted to track back to, which was, um, so you were talking about the hustle and, uh, and I love the, the, um, the hip hop references because I think about climbing and like coming up with new beta in a very similar way. It's like things that have never been invented before. And you just turn your toe this like completely different way and suddenly it unlocks it. And so I think about that almost like this IP that gets shared across the climbing community. But um, in terms of monetization, because you were talking about, you know, hustling as a coach and creating that content. So that's one of the things that we're exploring on Kai right now is, okay, if you are uh, a coach, Mario, and you create this awesome program, can you create a class on Kaya with video content that you can monetize? Right now, we're monetizing on our premium subscription, but we know that there's all these great coaches out there that could really help people broadly, and especially if they could scale their business, because I'm not sure how many people you feel like you can work with at any one time, but with digital frameworks that allow you to measure and see patterns and all of the video that's being handed back to you, I suspect you could work with a lot more people and or someone could just purchase this great module that you create and then follow along on their own. And then occasionally you can drop in, they could ask for feedback from you. So we also want to create some opportunities in the future for coaches and gyms to create their own classes and allow for people to literally like in, in your case, literally make money <laughs> off of the great content that you're creating. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, you're in line with this. It's funny, I when I first saw Kaya really coming onto the scene, that was the first thing I thought of. Like, I was like, oh, this would be a great thing. I've used like Trainerize, I've used um, Train Heroic and all these other programs for like the fitness side of it. But there really has never been anything that allows me to really work with a client and their climbing kind of going back to their data again, their content. Like it really, it allows mm-hmm. me to kind of like go through. Cause you know, I said this earlier in the episode, it's like, I would have an old, I mean, I probably still have this old, you know, Amazon fire tablet lying around. That's probably got 10 or 15 people's climbs in it from me just standing back there and holding it. Cause they were like the perfect example. 
than what I had then. Right. And yeah, I think this is amazing. And I think this is, yeah, I mean, the landscape is going to change. And that's one of the reasons why I definitely believe in Kaya and I believe what you guys are doing because I don't know, it's like, uh, for those, it, I'm trying to remember who said this is like, if now, you know, if you don't know now you do. And I think when you kind of start using Kaya, if you don't know what Kaya is really for and how it can help you, if you actually get into it, then you do know, and then you're in the know. And I think that's kind of like the cool thing about it. It's, it, you know, it, it's just nice to have something and uh, literally your own coach in your hand and me as a coach, it just makes that job so much easier. And I'm psyched on that. Um, a question I have for you, and this is more for, I guess, people of our caliber who kind of, who are a younger version of us, what skill sets or what experiences did you go through or skills that you learn working in a gym between route setting, shaping holds, you know, developing, climbing, I mean, everything that you've kind of gone through, but what experiences do you really feel like shaped you or really prepared you to step into uh, the role that you are in now? Oh, uh, well, not role, but like the lifestyle, the things that you're doing now, running, helping mm -hmm. run this Kaya company. I mean, I'm sure when you were washing, holding, mm -hmm. setting, this was the farthest thing in your mind. And yeah, so what mm -hmm. experiences really stand out to you that kind of help you now? Well, if I, if I, you know, I could go through all the different uh, career episodes that have shaped me, but I think if I relate it back to climbing, there's some real core things that, you know, it just shaped me um, fundamentally. Uh, and, and there's so many to list off, but, you know, just the collaborative nature of trying to unlock a boulder problem or route together and the support network that it takes to do that. You know, I think we kind of hold up individuals and their achievements almost as if they did them in a vacuum, but usually there's a whole, you know, slew of layers and people who carried ropes or put in protection or were just there on the day or filming or whatever it happens to be supporting each other. And then we, um, in, in, when I was living in Salt Lake, uh, Luke Cudney got access to, he was the access fund, um, liaison. And we got access to this place called Castle Rock State Park in Idaho. And I don't think climbing had been allowed in there for like 15 years prior. And um, so we went out there and we did all these great highball, beautiful boulder problems. But I just know that I wouldn't have done any of them if it had not been for the crew that was around me, that was spotting me, you know, and, and just protecting each other. They had my back. And I think that collaboration in a really stressful environment where, you know, you're worried that someone could get hurt. Um, and in some cases, uh, we did. <laughs> um, I think those experiences just shaped me because I realized my interdependence on people to do great things. We need teammates, we need collaborators. And then how to just kind of, um, accept limitations at certain points and then push through limitations at other points. Mm. And so that, that's kind of a subtle art too, even mm. with the team yeah. dynamic. Yeah. When do you, yeah, like I bet you see it with your kids all the time. It's like, when do you push them and when do you, when do you support them? Uh, or is, is pushing them, supporting them, you know, and it probably changes. I think all that 
those are like the fundamentals that climbing gave to me in addition to all like the personal development, which is the health and wellness and, you know, fit, you know, the, the, the fitness training tools to just, you know, gain understanding of your body and how it responds. But really those team dynamics, if I relate it to Kaya and the idea of we're working on a project together, we're all in different phases with it. And the project itself is in different phases. Like, are we, we talk about it internally as, as a team, you know, or, are we working the moves? Do we have the beta or are we giving send goes? And we take different approaches for where we're at. That's powerful. I love how you said that at right there. I say this to the kids, you're trying to send them out or you're trying to do the move. And you are, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, everything in life can be related back to hustling, but you're just trying to make money moves. You're trying to make moves that get you closer to where mm-hmm. you're trying to be. And the same is for rock climbing, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's, mm-hmm. That's real beautiful. I'm excited. I'm definitely excited to be a part of this and I'm excited for what you guys are bringing to the industry. I think it's so different. I think it's so new. And I, I think it's kind of serendipitous because rock climbing is, you know, in its very nature, it's kind of this pioneering, kind of a conquering kind of sport. I mean, the whole point is to conquer the boulder and, you know, conquer the rock or get mm-hmm. to the top, mm-hmm. you know? And I think, you know, that has its own connotations with it. But I think the beauty of what this is really doing is it's you're opening up an avenue for something like that, but just in a way that no one, no one knows what's coming. No one does. I mean, if there is someone who knows out there then keep it to yourself because the rest of us probably want to still be surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, it, and I think about it like, um, there, there, you know, when I first went to Font, uh, I met some French climbers who introduced me to the idea of rather than conquering the climb, you're understanding the climb, and it's oh, like your beautiful. your moment of like, yeah, I just it it blew me away because it's a totally different thing. It's like you're not surmounting anything actually. That mountain, you're just learning the pathway that allows you access to that experience. That for me was a pretty big shift from like this colonial narrative of like, you know, we were planting the flag on top of this thing as opposed to like, Oh, I'm just passing through and I'm, you know, a grain of sand on a beach. I'm lucky to be here and I'm climbing on this billion year old thing. And, um, and I, I've understood the beta and that's unlocking it for me to have this journey. That's beautiful. I'm definitely taking that. That is a much, much better way. Oh, yeah. That's gorgeous. I like that. Um, man. Uh, wow, sorry. I'm just like sitting with that and that's just like landing on my brain. And it's just like, you know, you hear a phrase or you hear something and it like just unravels all these like knots in your brain. Um, and like it's just that's just landed with me. That's real heavy. You are. You're just learning the climb. You're just learning the easy way. Cause that's the way beta really is. But when you frame it differently, it's really pretty. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah was, it really, it totally changed my conception of, of rock climbing at yeah. that moment. Yeah. That's a gift. That was definitely, that's a gift that you gave to me that someone gave to you. I appreciate that. Awesome. Well, I want to kind of bring this to a close here and, I want to really thank you for your time. I do like to ask one little, one more question about, um, 
uh, just kind of you and how you are, because, you know, I think a lot of people will be inspired to hear this and kind of hear your story and really know that like there's still enough success, there's still enough success to go around in the climbing industry. And there's still enough room for people to grow, shape it into a better place. And outside of your experiences from climbing, is there any books or anything that has really stood out to you that have just been important to you, whether it's related professionally to your climbing or whatever, or it's just something that just really moves you? Gosh, so many. Um, I mean, most recently I had on my desk, there's a book that I read a long time ago uh, when I went uh, with Shauna to Tibet. She had gotten a, she's an architect and she had gotten a fellowship to study high altitude architecture. And so we went to Tibet. And um, I think it's by Robert Thurman, who's Uma Thurman's father. And, um, I don't know if it's like the t- Tibetan way or uh, just merely uh, Tibetan Buddhism, but it's just like an overview of Tibetan Buddhism and, um, and, and kind of goes through the, the history of it and the ways of thinking about the Bodhisattva and like all these super powerful concepts that for me were super novel um, coming out of, out of a, a, a Western you know, religious tradition and then to be exposed to this idea that like the Bodhisattva or the Buddha is not just one person, but every being has the capacity to be the Bodhisattva. Cause like, we're all on this project working on it all at the same time. Um, aspiring. So that's one that's on my desk right now. Um, that I just like pulled out because my dad saw it and he was like, Hey, what's that? And, and, um, and then I don't, you know, I don't know. I, I read a lot of nonfiction at this point. I, I'm, I'm not so much of a fiction person. Um, I'm looking at a book and this is super dry, but uh, Staying Alive in Avalanche in Train by Bruce Tremper. That's awesome. Um, I'm, I'm going to be doing a ton of backcountry skiing. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I owe it to my people to make sure that I know what to do if, like an avalanche happened or better yet, let's not get an avalanche at all. So we're yeah. taking a bunch of classes and I'm reading this book. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That's definitely my, my uh, normal go-to for books is I've definitely been reading more of that and definitely like a uh, technical manual or fantasy. I'm like, nah, we're going to read this. And I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's way more also too. It's just, you know, you need to know how to stay alive in an avalanche in a practical manner it might come in handy in different in situations, different areas. You never know. Yeah. 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 Oh man. Well, David, thank you so much for your time. I am super excited that we got an opportunity to talk and I, I, I'm just blown away by like your entire kind of life story of where you've gone through and climbing and where you started to where you are now. And I think it's super inspiring. And I think anybody who is considering getting in the climbing industry or considering just wanting to make the industry a better place through, you know, your skill sets, your knowledge and your passion. I think you're a great example for that. And I'm really, I feel privileged and I feel really honored to have you in the industry and making this place a better place. Honestly. Yeah, man. Likewise, Mario. Thank you so much for having me. And, you know, I'm, we're, we're honored that you're collaborating with us and informing the way we're building the, 
Uh, so I, you know, I really think that we're all building this together, and um, I appreciate that we got the time to connect. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is the show. David is a absolute treasure and jewel to talk to. I am definitely bromancing a little bit, maybe total man crushing here, but I it, it's just cool. I mean, I really kind of hear a lot of his life and a lot of how my life are walking in their own similar but not, you know, linear paths together, but he's just so much farther along the road. And it was very refreshing and very hopeful to hear this. I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. As always, please like, follow, subscribe, do all the things that you need to do for social media to help this podcast grow. If you have not already, please join our Patreon. We are sharing all the information. You are getting the inside scoop. And if you join the Patreon, you will hear the bonus reel of Dave and I conversation that we talked about after this episode. But if you want that, got to get on Patreon. All right, I'm out.